0: either one of these any good wow this is a good movie it's pretty good well the director from
1: yesterday doesn't think so it stinks you sorry you waste all our film it's so bad
0: lots of variety to check out this week and good variety We'll check them all out. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. We're from Madwolf.com. Let's start with where else? Horror. Been looking for this one for a while. A twisted tale of two estranged sisters whose reunion is cut short by the rise of flesh-possessing demons, thrusting them into a primal battle for survival as they face the most nightmarish version of a family imaginable. Evil dead rise. <laughs>
1: All you can do is run. I'm getting this out of here. if you be a good mom someday, honey bath. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You know how to like kids.
2: Mom? Mommy's with the maggots now. <laughs> What will be
1: movie?
0: You. If you're counting, and we are, this is number five mm-hmm. in the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you're big fan. You're a big fan of the entire franchise. I am. I really came in, I mean, the last one, which was ten years ago. That's crazy to Amazing. Think that, yeah. Fetty Alvarez mm-hmm. rebooted, basically rebooted the first two yeah. as one, which I loved. Yes. That's my favorite by far. And this one, I think this one, the, the new director, the new writer-director is Lee Cronin, who did The Hole in the Ground, Yep, Irish filmmaker. I think he keeps the serious and bloody tone of Fetty Alvarez, but he adds a little bit more of the humor mm-hmm. from the first two. Yeah. A little, bit of a, little bit of a compromise. But yeah, we, I,
3: we liked it. Yeah, we did like it. Yeah, I do think the tone of it leans closer to the, t- the 2013 reboot. Um, and one of the things that I think that it did really well, I, I think it was a, a risky move to, to move it away from the cabin. But as we were talking about at lunch, I mean, the original Evil Dead was essentially... Remade in *Evil Dead 2*, *Dead by Dawn*. Right. There was, uh, it, there were a, a new character and a little bit more of a plot, but it was the same characters in the same car from the same university <laughs> at the same at the same cabin, right. and this had never happened to them before. And so it was a remake uh, of the second one, and then of course the third one. Well, we went back to medieval times. And then the fourth one, <laughs> Alvarez, again, was it was different characters, but it was the same storyline and it was uh, all the same sort of iconic shots, moments, images, the, the chainsaw, the woman in the basement. I mean, it was just none of that three stooges type. Right. Humor. <clears throat> I think you're right. It was a,
0: maybe risky, but I think they almost had time. to. It was yeah, high time. Right. You got to move it out. Yeah. So now it's not a cabin in the woods nope. anymore. Now it's set in an apartment building in Los Angeles, and the the trick is there's an earthquake. Yep. And lots of things are damaged, as could happen in an earthquake, and a hole opens up in the ground, and stupid teenagers, because kids are stupid, yep. go down in that hole and dig around in an old vault, and what's in there but the Book of the Dead. Yep. And you know what happens when they start messing with the Book of the Dead.
3: Because they also find some vinyl, and, uh, and they, they listen to that, and they try to open the book. They bleed on the book a little bit. Oh, yeah, it's all—it's a recipe for catastrophe, George.
0: <laughs> so right away, yeah, you've got this mom and her kids in the apartment building, and then the mom's sister comes over because she's just gotten some big life news that is rocking her world a little bit. So she comes over for some support, and uh, things are just... Turning upside down because mom is the first one to suffer the undead syndrome. Yes, the mom, the main mom, is played by Alyssa Sutherland. Uh, she plays the mom who gets infected first, and then her sister uh, is Lily Sullivan, who comes over and has to be the one to try to save the kids. There's three kids, mm-hmm. a couple of teenagers, and a young girl, mm-hmm. and and they all work really well together. They and do. especially Alyssa Sutherland has a real physical quality that lends itself to this character
3: yeah she's very she's very lanky she's very long and angular and you know her she's very limmy yeah so when like her limbs do these weird things you're like ah, I mean, yeah. yeah she does i mean she does she looks great in this movie
0: so the mom starts being all undead and then the rest of the family has to try to deal with what's going on and if she can be helped or if they're going to survive this and of course we know if you know about the evil dead franchise at all this can spread Yes. Uh, and that's what it turns into. Sort of a, you, you get a bit of a haunted house mm-hmm. type of motif. It is a, a big um, apartment building, but it's mainly kept to the one apartment. But then there's also stuff going outside in the hall, which is very cool.
3: Yeah, one of the things that I think that <clears throat> Cronin does really, really well, really effectively, and he pulls in a couple of odes as well to, is to make this sort of a, an apartment building-based haunted house, which can be, you know, um, he's got, you got a very clear The Shining ode in this movie. But also, you know, I think it's got a feel of, of wreck a little bit and also there's a yucca uh, Yoko Anwar did one last year that i really enjoyed and it was called Satan's slaves it was very much like this it's like they're in a building they're in an apartment building the apartment building itself is actually condemned they only have a month to move out and right. so and then because of the earthquake you know uh it, it's even more condemned oh yeah that way so it looks terrifying just the building does and they you're trapped and, and they can't do anything with this mom. She's just going to sort of be dead in the other room until something <laughs> happens. But, of course, she's not really dead. So I think that the, the he builds a lot of great tension with that, being trapped in this sort of dilapidated building.
0: Yeah. And another thing that we like, one of the many things we liked about this movie, what they did right. You've got an opening, an opening prologue that is very cool, set around a lake. And that opening is nice when the titles come up. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then it shifts back to, what, a day earlier, yes. I think, when the main action, the main part of the action happens in this apartment building. And then it eventually moves out down to the parking lot when things really, really start getting bloody. And it's bloody. Yeah. Um, if you appreciated that about the Fede Alvarez version, this one has some blood spray, too, that rivals that. And I think the effects are good. Mm-hmm. I did appreciate the effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, they looked good, and a lot of the camera work is good, especially we talked about there's some some looking through a peephole out into the hall. Uh, really liked that.
3: Oh, it's so effective. Yeah. It's so effective what he does with that because of, you know, sort of this racing back and forth before your eye, but you can't see where you can't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he does a great job with that. I, and, you know, and I think... Of course, you get the you know the the standard um, Evil Dead demon point of view. So the camera comes right. rushing towards you, right? But I think that he he keeps that sort of off kilter camera work to really great effect throughout the whole movie.
0: Yeah, there are a number of great shots. Yeah, I think really well done. And after that first opening, which we really enjoyed, I think it maybe drags just a hair, just a hair, to get to where the things start uh, really moving. Uh, but other than that, I think it was really, really solid. I mean, I'm still favoring. I'm going to go with the Fetty Alvarez version from 10 years ago as my favorite. But this was a lot of fun, and I did like it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the Alvarez version has a little bit more depth to the story. This is the this mm-hmm. the, this feels a little bit superficial, a little bit slight, but it's I think it's just in favor of packing in the action. Although I do want to point out that Lee Cronin, The Hole in the Ground, um, which is a great movie, is all about... Uh, Family dysfunction and mommy issues. (laughs) So that really carries over here. And between him and Ari Aster, I just feel like everybody needs some therapy this week. All the filmmakers this week need some therapy. This is
0: a big week for mother issues at the movies, (laughs) as we'll get into in a little bit. But yeah, we like this one. And they definitely, well, they they do set it up for possibility of more. Oh, for sure. But unlike uh, the... 2013 version there isn't any stinger at the end there, there was there was that cool little Bruce yeah. Campbell uh, appearance yeah, yeah groovy at the end nothing this time
3: no but i there are some really fun Odes, callbacks, sometimes yeah. even shout-outs. Shout-outs. <laughs> literally. Yeah. To the franchise, which I love. Because, you know, even though this movie really takes it in new directions, it's clear that it's part of the franchise and loves the franchise. Yes. As do I.
0: <laughs> yeah, so a recommendation for Evil Dead Rise, number five in the franchise. Uh, it's still going strong in theaters now. Next up, did somebody say Mother Issues? <laughs> How about this one, comedy drama. Planning a trip to see his mother, a mild-mannered but anxiety-ridden man confronts his darkest fears as he embarks on an epic, Kafka-esque odyssey back home. Latest from Ari Aster, Bo is Afraid.
3: Are you at the airport?
1: I'm on my way. I
0: just.
3: It's not safe, is it? What do you
1: think I should do? I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Welcome back. I hit you with my car. What?
1: I know. Feeling sad about going home, Bo? Must feel totally unreal.
3: i supposed to be leaving. I don't know if that's going to (laughs) happen. Do you want the truth now? Yes!
0: Oh boy, this movie. Uh Ari Astor, if you're like us, you loved his his first two. He <laughs> did Hereditary, loved it, Midsummer, loved, loved it. Loved it. This one is more of this is not a horror movie, although it has some horrific types of anxieties yes. uh, associated with it. But it's it's more of an absurdist comedy, and it gets incredibly absurd and anxiety-ridden. In fact, at one point the anxiety level of it reminded me of Uncut Gems. Right.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with you where you just are yeah. it's it's what else can go wrong right now, yeah. you know, and it's and it's the kind of, of uh, things that can go wrong, not like a horror film things that can go wrong, but like a nightmare, you know, when you can't wake up and you have to get somewhere and all of these things that are keeping you just from getting to your mom's house. Right. Each sequence is more bizarre and fantastical and outlandish than the one before it you know and it it leads to eventually the just this gorgeous breathtaking perfectly surreal segment that was wonderful to watch
0: yeah it follows Walking phoenix he is beau and he lives in this 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 apartment but outside looks like it's some sort of dystopian hellscape where you can't even go outside without running for your life.
3: It looks like Escape from New York. Yeah, That's it where does. He lives. It
0: basically does. <laughs> and he's trying. He has a trip planned to see his mother, and that is causing him some anxiety. We see him talk to his uh, therapist about it, mm-hmm. and then just when he's leaving for the airport, something happens, and he loses his keys, and he cannot go, and then things just spiral. Way, way, way out of control. As uh, you see flashbacks to him dealing with his his mother, played as a young woman by Zoe Lister-Jones, and then especially, uh, and then eventually later, you see her in present day, her present age, and she's played by the great Patti Lupone, yep. who is perfect for this part. Because if you don't know Patti Lupone, she made most of her her fame on stage, but she's had plenty of screen work, and she just has this commanding. Presence, and I think she was perfect to play this mm-hmm. overbearing mother who's who's very rich and is always just the way she needles her son and is always just trying to find a reason why he is not giving her enough attention, right? And has got him just afraid about everything.
3: Yeah, you know. And when we were watching it, we talked about how many times the the film references. Hereditary, Many times. Many times. Many times. He references his own film, which was also very much about a boy and his mother. You know, it's about a lot of other things, too. But I think, you know, the central really disturbing neurosis in that movie is the relationship between the teenage boy and his mother.
0: Yeah, and also dysfunction that is passed down from one generation to the next. And in this movie, they specifically call that out. There's a scene where Patti LuPone is talking about, oh, her mother did this and then her mother's mother did that. Just specifically what is being passed down and she somehow thinks she's not doing it too.
3: But the movie asks a lot.
0: It does. It asks a lot.
3: Um, it is in many ways kind of a test of endurance because it's it's fully three hours long. And even though it's fascinating throughout, it feels three hours. It yeah. does not feel, it's not like, you know, John Wick where you're like, bam, bam, oh, bam, no. death, 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 dun, dun. You know, it's not.
0: It, it feels... You're
3: like, oh my God, I'm still watching this movie. Yeah,
0: he's. it feels like he's really working through some serious <laughs> issues here. But you're right. Then it goes through this middle section where... It becomes almost like a, a play within a movie mm-hmm. with these fake background sets, and it looks beautiful. Oh, my God, it's so beautiful. It just does, it but does. it goes off on these surrealistic tangents before it comes back, and you, we get a, a, a finale that's also a bit surreal, but he has a final confrontation with his mother, and you find out there's crazy things that she's doing. Um, it is. It's, it's a therapy session about mother issues, and it's going to be very polarizing. Yeah, I, could, I could see people... I could see people walking out. I mean, oh, for n- sure. just know what you're getting into. Yeah.
3: Because I think there are a lot of people who are sort of expecting it to be a horror film because it's Ari Aster. Yeah. And then um, Joaquin Phoenix, who is, of course, which we haven't said, magnificent. As he the is. whole cast is great.
0: Yeah. And it's such a tough part because the entire movie, Bo, he's just constantly either. What well, he's afraid, he's befuddled, he's frantic, he's panicking yeah. about all these things the it's whole su- time. It's such a demanding, mm-hmm. a demanding role, and the, the the whole cast is just littered with great talent. Nathan Lane, Nathan Lane
3: is great, is
0: great. Amy Ryan mm-hmm. as his wife. Then Parker Posey oh, shows yeah. up near the end. Yeah, it's a great ensemble, but it's it's just such a weird, absurdist movie. But I have to say, in the days that follow, seeing it, us seeing it, I think I. Liked it even a little bit more. I appreciated yeah. it yeah. a little bit more yeah. because it is it is an experience. It is. But uh, if you like the first two by Ari Aster, don't expect a horror movie because it's uh, not. But it's not. But it's it's some horrific anxieties as uh, Bo is working through his mother issues. And it's
3: gorgeously filmed. It is. I mean, it's it's you know even the sort of more mundane moments. Not that there are a lot, but I mean everything about this is just gorgeously filmed.
0: Well, didn't we see it in IMAX? We did. And I was wondering, why is this an IMAX? Well, it looked great. It It looked fantastic. So just know what you're getting into, and that is Bo is Afraid out in theaters now. (laughs) Action thriller war movie next. It follows U.S. Army Sergeant John Kinley and his Afghan interpreter. This is Guy Ritchie's The Covenant.
3: Everything all right, John?
2: No, everything's not all right. There is a hook in me ahmed and his family are
1: in trouble we can't intervene
2: i am gonna have to get him out myself
3: listen you're gonna be alone you gotta adapt here's what you got
2: if you can give me the location if i can get him out of the country it's too dangerous you think if I could be free of this debt, I wouldn't be? You think I have a choice? There is no choice.
0: We were talking earlier. Usually, the director puts his name in front of it to differentiate it from something that is similarly titled, but I don't think there's been a The Covenant here anytime recently.
3: Well, there are like nine or ten The Covenants. They're all horror movies. They're <laughs> yeah. all obscure horror movies. So not, not one that jumps to mind. So it does seem odd. Yeah,
0: well, he's he's a recognizable fam- filmmaker. And I'll tell you this, I think this is his best in years, right. his, his most complete movie. There's been a few over the last several years that have had really good moments, just didn't maybe hang together completely. I think this is probably his best complete film in many years. But and in,
3: in a lot of ways... Would you say it's maybe his least Guy Ritchie film?
0: sort of it, it's it's one that really feels like if you wouldn't if you didn't know it, you would think the way that the treatment that he gives it that it's based on true people and true events. It's not it, th- These characters are not based on real people, but they it is based on a scenario that certainly has happened to a lot of people, and that is the fact that during the Afghanistan War, we employed many interpreters. With the promise of U.S. visas when their service was concluded, and then now that the the Afghanistan war is over, uh, we have not followed through on that promise to many, many of them. And then, of course, they're viewed as traitors right. back home and put on a most wanted list by the Taliban, who is trying to hunt hunt them down and kill them. And that's the basis here. You've got um, Jake Gyllenhaal, who plays the um, sergeant. And his life is saved by his interpreter, played by Dar Salim, And they're both great. Both of the performances are really, really good. And when Jake Gyllenhaal is at home recovering from his injuries then, he's trying to get his interpreter that visa and to get him and his family out because now they're on the most wanted list. And he just keeps running into roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And that's the point this movie is making through these two characters. And then he decides that, well, if someone has to get him out, it's got to be me. And the funny thing about it is that the trailer at least made me believe that that was most of the movie, him going in to get him out. It's not. It's not at all. It's maybe the the last 15, 20 minutes at most. Um, so you've got a lot, which is good because it's not just a white savior right. going in, exactly. you know, guns a-blazing. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot more nuance about it. There is a, there is a, a certain thread of American exceptionalism. But the action is really good. the The scenery, how Richie uses the the terrain, really good. And it does make its point in in a good way through intimate relationship between these two men and these two good, very good performances. Makes that larger point about look, this happened many many times. We weren't coming through on the promise that we made to these interpreters. And uh, it's a solid, solid film uh, through with, like I said, great action and great performances. And it is you mentioned about not being a Guy Ritchie type movie because it does feel a little a little soft pedaled. He can he can come on very over the top, which can work. Yeah. And even though this is a war movie and there is, you know, action, as I said, you know, the the Americans always seem to have much better aim than the enemy. (laughs) Um, But it still seems a little bit soft pedaling it. The fact that keeping it keeping the point that he's trying to make intimate. With these two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had we had Motherhood, the last two movies. This is more Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this deal wasn't being honored, and uh, he's got to go get him out. So I think it really works, especially if you like this type of movie. And, and, and he gives it that based-on-true-events feel, because there's text on the screen when the when the dialogue, when the, the military men are throwing back terms that we may not know. Mm-hmm. Boom, he gives you the text on the screen what that means. Uh, so it does feel feel like something that's based on true events but not with the people just with with the uh, scenario but yeah what his best i think uh, in many years and that is guy Ritchie's the covenant out now in theaters and next up is one definitely based on a true person the true story of composer joseph bologna chevalier de saint george the illegitimate son of an african slave and a french plantation owner Who rises to heights in French society as a composer before an ill fated love affair? This is called Chevalier.
3: You don't belong here. You're a party trick. Repet, playing the violin, that is all.
2: You know I am the best. You are playing a dangerous game, friend. You forget your place or break his hands. You could be more influential than you know. Leverage it. If you take to the stage, you will be erased. There will be no new France. You cannot topple what has been ordained by God. Not everything is about you people.
3: It's Calvin Harrison Jr. Yes. You know, whatever he's doing, we're looking out
0: yes. for. Yes, and he's very good here. And this is a fantastic story of a little-known person, I think, for for most people, and someone that you should get to know. And you find out there's a good reason that he was buried so long in history, because when Napoleon took took power and he reinstated slavery in France, then he tried to wipe out histories like these and banned this guy's music and try to just erase him from history books. And now, only in the last several years or so, he's getting his due as a virtuoso violinist, as one of the very first, if not the first, black composers and a an incredibly accomplished—he led a, um, a military regiment in the Revolution. An incredible life, an incredible life. So this tells a good history lesson for mm-hmm. people like me who hadn't even heard of this person. Right. Uh, so it's good to get to know him. And it's a solid film. It is a solid film. It does. It comes from Disney's Searchlight Pictures, and it does. You do get the feeling it's a little bit Disney-fied, mm-hmm. you know, a little sanitized, a little Americanized. Uh, it looks gorgeous. The The period costumes and the cinematography, fantastic. Uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr., yeah, is, is very, very good. And it's got a, a great ensemble as well. Samara Weaving and, and Lucy Boynton and Martin Zonkis, who we always like as a, <laughs> as a villain, and he's one here, and even Minnie Driver pops up and it's it's a story that is relevant not just for a historical perspective but it has a a universal quality to it as well as Joseph who's given the title of Chevalier de Saint George by Marie Antoinette herself finds that the more he excels and plays their game even though he's he still deals with racism the, the less alone he is he displays great talents as just a young boy, and the combination of that and his father's money gets him enrolled in the schools that he would have had no chance to get into otherwise. And becomes so accomplished as, musician, as a musician, as also as an athlete, as a fencer, he's great. And so he kind of, he lets that, he follows that because he can be part of something that he finds out toward the end. Maybe he doesn't want to be part of and right. ends up joining the revolution. So uh, it, it is a fascinating story. feels a bit, it, it's interesting, there is one, one part of it where, you know, they speak English most of the whole time, mm-hmm. but yet when he takes his place in society, then his mother, at the, at the death of his father, his father frees her. And so then she is free to come and live with him, uh, with some of her, her people, Uh, because she is from Guadeloupe. And when they're speaking their language, somebody mentions that, you know, we speak French. Well, you're speaking English in in this film, so <laughs> right. it's just one of the things that sort of drives home the point that yeah, this is a bit Americanized yeah. for the story, but still, it's a very good story to know and and look and look up more about this guy, which I did after seeing it, and just a little bit of research I did do. I, it seems that this movie got most of it right. I mean, really the the high points of the accomplishments of this guy that were just just incredible. So just on a, on its story alone, it's worth it, and uh, and really a well constructed film constructed biography and the director steven williams the writer stephanie robinson both of them i think this is their first feature Mm -hmm. they've come from tv Mm -hmm. which sort of feels it a little bit although like i said certainly the look and the costuming is fantastic and it's out in theaters now and yeah another recommendation for chevalier (claps) and this next one another one about certainly a real person that you have most definitely heard of One-of-a-kind rock and roll icon who shaped the world of music. This is Little Richard. I am everything.
1: The legacy of Little Richard is complex. Did you know that Elvis Presley and Pat Boone sold more of Tutu Frutti than I did? Little Richard was pronouncing his queerness. He didn't want to burn in hell. That's the way we were taught. He was very, very good at liberating other people, he was not good at liberating himself. Michael was
3: inspired by me, Prince. James Brown, I discovered him. Jimi Hendrix was my guitar player.
1: I used to stand on the desk and do Little Richard.
3: I love you, Paul. Hello, Linda. Everyone was beholden
1: to him. He spit on every rule there was in music. I was unpredictable. They didn't know what I was gonna do. Now you got a god game and show it to the world.
3: documentary from Lisa Cortez and it balances um, sort of the talking head footage of people whose lives were impacted in some magical way by Little Richard and a lot of archival footage of him in concert. So right there, it's not bad. Yeah. Right? It's not bad. Especially when you think about some of the people that he that he affected. Oh my. Right? Um Billy Porter, Mick Jagger. There's a lot of John Waters, which I very much appreciated. <laughs> and John Waters just admits he stole the mustache directly from Little Richard.
0: Well, Little Richard was so flamboyant. So fl- I can see John Waters oh, for appreciating sure. that. Yeah,
3: as a kid. It's like he before John Waters even realized that he or Little Richard were gay. He realized this is somebody I got to know. Like, this is a new icon for me. Um, and one of the things, I, like, there was, I learned a lot from this that I did not know. And mainly how often, three different times in his life, little Richard gave up everything because he was afraid the world was going to end and because his parents had been so very religious. His dad was a minister and could tell early on that there was something about Richard he did not like. And so, you know, every time things might, maybe we're going to go just to the stratosphere for Richard, he suddenly believed the world was going to end, and then he threw everything away and devoted his life to Christianity and opposed everything he had done in the past, said rock and roll was going to drive you to hell, said he was cured from being gay. Mm. And it's an interest I didn't know any of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think the thing that I found the saddest is that he did it for the last time Just before he died. yeah, And so it just seemed, and I think the film really sort of captures that it's too bad because then the rest of his life he spent trying to tell people, everybody else has benefited from me. Why don't you see me for who I am?
0: Right, that is true. Because he was obviously one of the many who had their music co-opted by white people like Pat Boone and, you know, everything else that was so so sanitized uh, so that white radio stations would play those mm-hmm. songs. But he, many times throughout his life, he would say, I am the architect of rock mm-hmm. and roll, mm-hmm. and you can make a good case. Oh, you
3: can. Oh, this movie makes a great case for it. But also that he was so important for so many people, for outsiders, for gays, uh, people who, you know, he because he he was so, even when he didn't say it, you know, he's, I'm the bronze Liberace. Well, Liberace <laughs> wasn't out well, I think most people might have recognized that he was gay, but he wasn't out about it. And so, you know, and I think that the one of the things that the film really nails is then how tragic it is that then he would backpedal in right. a way where it's like he he meant so much to so many people. He he opened so many doors for so many people, and then for him himself to to have something inside of him that said, "Nope, this is wrong. I'm wrong. Like I'm I'm bad." Yeah. You know, it was. It's, it's, it's very sad. It's a lovely film. You can feel a little bit that, I mean, it's not, I feel like Little Richard deserved a movie that looked better than this. Mm. Um, there are no real bells and whistles. And, yeah. of course, he was all about bells and whistles. So I really oh, felt yeah. like we should have had a bit more of that. But it, it delivers a lot of information and, of course, a lot of great songs.
0: Yeah, and after a couple of weeks of having one-night-only events, uh, this is out now in regular release in theaters called little richard i am everything well let's move to apple tv next action adventure comedy cole falls head over heels for enigmatic sadie but then makes the shocking discovery that she's a secret agent before they could decide on a second date cole and sadie are swept away on an international adventure to save the world this is ghosted
2: who are you cia
1: me kidnapped and tortured all after one day you're the one who flew to london it was a romantic gesture
2: did it never occur to you that he could be a foreign asset trying to compromise your mission who the hell are you
3: i'm the boyfriend do you trust me
1: is that a joke
3: <laughs> this is big time stuff right here. Big time. You got Anna Diarmas, Chris Evans, mm-hmm. Dexter Fletcher, the director, who just yeah. did Rocket, Rocket Man. Man,
0: great. Bohemian Rhapsody, not so much, but this is not a music movie and nope. doesn't come close to Rocket Man.
3: No, it's just not very good. It's a romantic comedy slash spy movie. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's pretty. Right? I mean, the camera lingers <laughs> on very, very, very pretty the whole time. Yeah. You know, you, you're not going to do much better in terms of pretty than, than Chris Evans and Ana de Armas. They look great. But one of the biggest issues with this movie is that it is forever telling us, characters are constantly telling us about the off-the-chart sexual tension between these two characters, and it's just not there. They right. seem like buddies. And, you know, this is their third film together. Yeah. I bet they are buddies.
0: And that's a problem, because when you have two people... Who look like this? The characters almost should be saying, "Oh, you we we should be together." Yeah, I guess obviously. because who else is going to live up to them? But you cannot manufacture chemistry. You can't do it. You can't do it with comedy. Nope. You can't do it with romance. You just can't. They can be the greatest in the world, and obviously some of the best looking people in the world. But it ain't there.
3: It's it's really not. And the, it, and it becomes more obvious the more often somebody else tells them to get a room. You're like, I, I, I right? Mean, at least seven. Different times. Here's the thing Characters did, tell them to get a room. Right.
0: Here's the thing I did appreciate, though, when he just says, I'm the boyfriend. Because we've seen the reverse so often, you know, where the guy has some sort of a secret. Or like uh, true lies, right, let's say. Right, Something like that. Oh, and then the girlfriend slash wife is the one who's the outsider. It's kind of nice to see it reverse.
3: I'll tell you what. I mean, that is probably the, the, the biggest strength from this film is that that's exactly what it does is that it's a role reversal. You know, it's, he's the romantic, and she's the assassin, and and it is, the whole film is a role reversal, and I like that about it. But the dialogue, especially in Act One, is so bad, it's so bad, that even talent like this can't overcome it. And then it's also really self-indulgent, you know, Mm -hmm. and they get to a point where... Two hours, full two hours. Yeah, They get to a point where there is a bounty on their heads, and so first, uh, the new Captain America... Anthony Mackie. ...shows up to take them hostage, and then he's... Dispatched by another massively famous person, who's dispatched by another massively famous person, and there are cameos all over the place, which is sort of fun, but it's also, it's it's just it's just here are our really highly expensive buddies, and you all know them, but we're just together, not making a very good movie. You
0: know what it reminded me of it? Reminded Adam Sandler. It, <laughs> it reminded me of that Red Notice. Yeah, you had The Rock, you had Gal Gadot, and then you had Ryan Reynolds. All right. oh, these people are great. They look fantastic. They're buddies.
3: Yeah, it's not as bad as that, I don't think, but it's not much better.
0: Yeah, Um, and again, you just, there's something to be said for chemistry. Well, there's a lot to be said for chemistry, especially when it's not there. Um, As hard as they try, and they try, and that's on Apple TV now called Ghosted. (laughs) Let's go back to theaters for an action crime drama. Baltimore, New Year's Eve, a talented but troubled police officer is recruited by the FBI's chief investigator to help profile and track down a disturbed individual terrorizing the city. It's called To Catch a killer.
3: You were rejected by the bureau. It was your psychovality, you—aggressive, addictive, antisocial. This is the profile of people we
2: arrest, not higher. I think you got terror. I need you to use it as fuel
1: to bring me something new. Now. This guy's on a spiral of destruction. I expect you to slide down after him. FBI, drop your
2: weapon. Why do I have to
1: play by your They brought me in because they thought I'd understand you.
2: You're making any progress.
1: Well, I'm here.
0: Well, that synopsis and that title, very generic. Very. But if you're looking at the the, uh, credits, you see right away, you see Ben Mendelsohn Mm -hmm. and Shailene Woodley, Mm -hmm. both very talented.
3: They are very talented. And Shailene Woodley is also executive producing this film. And Ben Mendelsohn is amazing in all things. But the storyline itself is as boring, it's as familiar, it's as ordinary as you might think it would be given the title of the movie. Um, and that's unfortunate. I think that the film does a lot of things to overcome that, to elevate that. They have they, they introduce some interesting characters, some unlikable characters, um, some interesting ideas about being a sycophant and and putting ambition above, you know, the actual solving of a crime. And I, mm-hmm. and none of these are none of these are are elements that you don't always see in movies like this, but they're handled I think with more integrity here. They're more interesting in the way they're handled here. Shailene Woodley is very good. It's very she she underplays it and I think that that works to the film's benefit and um I think that there are times where it takes you places you don't expect. On the whole, the best thing about this movie is the ensemble. The all of the performances are really excellent. Ralph Ineson. Ralph Ineson is great in it. He really is great in it. But the problem is that it just it it can't get past the just familiarity. Right. It just can't get it. You know, it never really breaks through. Mm-hmm. So that it is a fascinating sort of. I think it was trying to maybe be kind of a Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just it cannot make that leap. It feels in the end like an interesting spin on the same movie you've seen before.
0: Right. And the writer, the co-writer and director is Damien Schisfran. So, yeah, trying a a good attempt Mm -hmm. in the end just can't quite stick the landing, I think is what you said in your written review. So that is out in theaters now to catch a killer. Next up, a comedy drama on VOD. A troubled teenage girl runs away to Mexico to find the father she has never known. Together, they learn that a family can be put back together, even if all they have are the missing pieces. This is Gringa. Everybody in Lo de Marcos loves him very much. Him? He brings us pride.
1: You have to start treating yourself better. Promise me I'll stop drinking. We're two players short. Margie, you're playing. Not gonna do it. You have to. My house, my rules, remember? If you can humiliate me, I'm gonna hate you for the rest of my life. Okay, that's what dads are for. Oh, two days and you're an expert.
2: I'm giving, I'm giving up on him. Don't. He hasn't given up on you. A
1: month ago, I was a drunk soccer coach, hanging out in Mexico without a peso to my name. Darn it! Today, I'm a single dad, hanging out in Mexico without a peso to my name.
3: You had know, jumped in the middle of your life, and you didn't make me
2: feel
3: bad about it. Rachel Willis reviewed this one for us over on MadWolf.com, and it has a lot going for it. Jessica Bora, in particular, who plays the lead, the high school girl uh, who leaves for Mexico to find her father after her mother, who's played by Judy Greer, who's always great, dies. She doesn't want to stay where she is. She doesn't want to live with her mother's parents and so she goes in search of her father, played by Steve Zahn, also always great. Mm -hmm. And what she finds in Mexico is typically what you would expect to find is that, you know, family is what you make of it. He's, um, while the performance is good, Zahn's character is just too perfect to be real. And then on top of sort of those tropes and cliches it's a sports movie she starts off she's a she soccer plays, player yeah, yeah and is. he's
0: a soccer coach yeah yeah and
3: uh and so um she's more accepted by her team her teammates in mexico once she gets to be good and of course she gets to be good which she, she was in the states because she has good coaching from her dad so there's a lot of there's a lot of formula happening here and, yeah. uh, and a lot of cliches happening here and it gets another example where really solid performances, just cannot overcome it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's for the writers and directors. It appears to be their first Mm -hmm. big screen outing. So, you know, we're getting there. Uh, Yeah, so just not not killing it on the first try. And that's on VOD now. And check out Rachel's full review at MadWolf.com for Gringa. (laughs) And one more, it's a thriller that follows Yamisi, a female student and aspiring investigative reporter. She decides to look into why girls at her prominent high school are dropping out for no apparent reason. This is called Ron Lowo, help me.
1: I keep telling you girls, take responsibilities for your actions. We want. We want
3: Schlocketeer, Daniel Baldwin reviewed this one for us it is a nigerian horror film and you might think from really the setup or or even just the um you know kind of a lengthier examination of the plot you would not expect this to sort of go the directions that it goes because it, mm-hmm. t- it tackles very serious material but the direction that it goes is pure giallo it's pure 1970s italian horror which is we didn't expect and i don't think daniel expected and that is so much his bag
0: yeah this is it sort of brings up some of the Issues and really, a couple of the plot points that we saw in women talking, right, but then goes a completely different direction,
3: yeah. and you know, points for trying and for being surprising mm-hmm. and and I think in a lot of ways, that particular like giallo the same way with um malignant. If that's the style that you choose, you can do just about anything because that right. is a giallo is a, is a type of film that accepts as big as you can go. And so I think that, in a certain way, there are a lot of forgivable moments in this film because of that. So it's a great attempt. It's clearly a low-budget movie, and there are some very silly moments in it. But on the whole, it's, it's entertaining thoroughly.
0: Yeah, and Daniel's full review at MadWolf.com. It's on VOD now called Ron Me Lowo parentheses, help me. All right, speaking of Daniel, time to go and check in.
1: Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all
0: go to the lobby. Stopping back in the lobby to check in with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, to hip us to some news. But first of all, I know you saw Evil Dad rise, and you dug it, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Loved it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. What else is happening out there?
1: Well, on May 16th, there are two uh, Paramount movies. Hitting both VOD and Paramount Plus. The first one is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. So Fun. If missed it in theaters. It's coming up here in a few weeks. And the second is a Paramount Plus original called Assassin Club, which is an action thriller starring Henry Golding, Numi Rapace, Daniela Melchior, and Sam Neill. So hopefully that'll turn out well. Yeah. All right. And then Quiver is releasing the exploitation sequel, The Wrath of Becky, in theaters, on May 26th. Oh, yeah.
0: Nice. Uh, the sequel to, of course, Becky.
3: Yeah. That
1: was fun. I it enjoyed was it. was fun. We liked it. I liked it, too. And if this one does well and keeps going, I really hope they keep uh, pitting her against comedians turned actors. Yeah. You had Kevin James in the first one, and it's Sean William Scott this time. Uh-huh.
0: So. Stifler.
1: Uh, Nimrod Antal. Liam Neeson starring action through The Retribution has been moved from early June to an August 23rd release. A bit of a Neeson reprieve there, but not so long.
2: <laughs>
1: and universal release, Cohen Brother Ethan's new caper comedy, Drive Away Dolls, into theaters on September 22nd. And hmm. that's a road movie that's said to be a throwback to uh, Russ Mayer-esque 70s exploitation. Oh. Film. All, All
3: in. All <laughs> in right
1: now. Well, well, here, let me tell you the cast. Okay. have got Margaret Qualley. Nice. Um, Geraldine. This one and Beanie Feldstein, Coleman Domingo, Bill Camp, Pedro Pascal, and Matt Damon. Oh, yeah. Wow. (laughs) Good. Coming out swinging on that one. Yeah, definitely. I want to go on a road trip with them. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Liam Neeson's other crime thriller this year called In the Land of Sinners and Saints has also moved from June, but this time to an October 19th release. So no more Neeson for a few months, but then a lot of Neeson in the back half of the year.
3: How many movies does he make in a year?
1: All, <laughs> all. Of no them. Uh, jokes aside. I think uh, I think he already has two in the can for next year, and is about to shoot a third one. So, guy likes to work. And Warner Brothers has set Godzilla X Kong: The New Empire for a March fifteenth, twenty twenty four release. So that's the next installment in their legendary
3: MonsterVerse series.
1: Yeah, I saw the teaser. The teaser trailer out right now.
3: Who's directing this one? Is it Wingard again?
1: It is Wingard oh, again. Right. Yes. All right. All right. And then the last is a project and release date announcement. Universal has said an August 2024 release for Blumhouse's English language remake of last year's Danish horror film *Speak No Evil*. Mm-hmm. It's going to star James McAvoy with Eden Lake and *Woman in Black* director James Watkins mm-hmm. at the helm.
0: We were just talking about this last night because you hope oh, you told me about it. Mm-hmm. I had not heard about it. My first thought was, are they gonna are they gonna pull punches?
1: Are they gonna change the ending?
3: Is this a tough movie to watch? It
1: is. Yeah, yeah, that one's rough. <laughs> um, I don't know if they will or not. We, we kind of don't get these quick remakes all that often. That is pretty quick.
3: So it is. Yeah, I'm a bit surprised. And now Watkins, though, he made Eden Lake, which pulls no punches. No punches there pulled. are no punches pulled <laughs> no. in that movie, so fingers that crossed. True.
0: That is true. Uh, so yeah, you're right. We're getting that quicker than, than usual, so we'll see. All right, you can always get the latest from Daniel on socials at the schlocketeer. Thank you, as always.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: All right, looking ahead to next week, we have another full plate starting with Sisu. We're looking forward to that.
3: Indeed. Also, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Is this the first movie of that book? I think so.
0: Okay, because I I never read Judy Bloom growing up, but I always heard about that book, and they're finally making a movie. All right, we'll see about that next week. Also, oh, one we've seen now a few weeks ago, uh, finally making it in wide release called Showing Up. That'll be next week. And Peter Pan and Wendy. Big George Foreman comes out next week. Joyland. 32 Sounds. R-M-N. One called Radiance. A creature feature called the Tank. Ooh. Uh, one called Everything Went Fine. Clock. And From Black. All right. Bunch I've never heard of. We'll find out about those next week. What about this week? Ah, oh, Evil Dead Rise. You like the Blood Rain? Come on. Bo is Afraid. Boy, a lot to talk about there. Or the uh, action thriller of the Covenant. Lots of stuff going on. Now let us know. Always love to talk about the movies. Easy to find us. Mad Wolf, at M A D D W O L F on Twitter, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all the written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast with a brand new edition, brand new installment coming out very soon mm-hmm. is uh, that's at madwolf.com. So keep in touch. We hope you will. Have a great week. Enjoy the movies. Until next time, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast.
3: See ya.
1: I do wish we could chat longer, but. I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.